0: This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Welcome everyone to the Liverpool.com podcast. The new season is underway, but the transfer window is still very much ongoing. And today we're going to talk a little bit about some centre-backs Liverpool could target. I'm your host, David Comerford, and I'm joined by Liverpool.com writer, James Martin. And like I said, James, you know, a lot of the focus right now is on defensive midfield but Liverpool have got a pretty significant need in central defence too so that's what we're going to take a look at today and the prism we're going to use is basically the criteria set out by Liverpool um in this sort of transfer search so there was a report from The Athletic recently outlining kind of a, a three-point plan for Liverpool when it comes to centre-backs so number one is that the player should be 23 or under which you know you can certainly understand why and um, not required to come straight into the side is point two and point three is that they will be left sided. So, what myself and James have done is we've basically applied those criteria. We've each come up with a couple of centre backs that fit the bill for Liverpool. We're going to explain why we think they might be good sign ins and just kind of assess this area of the team more generally, too. So, before we get into the actual players themselves, James, I think we should discuss what we kind of want from a centre back. So for you, for you, what are the key points that Liverpool should be looking at in terms of attributes for this position?
1: Well I think I think the left sided point is key for a couple of reasons. I think on the one hand you've got this new system that Liverpool have been experimenting with. It does kind of look like it's probably here to stay now. It's maybe a bit early to say that but obviously we've persisted with it throughout preseason. I think what was really telling was That first game when we were so short of number sixes that Klopp played Trent there, but he still used the hybrid system, used Connor Bradley as that kind of inverted fullback. So I think that's probably here to stay, at least for the medium term. And so what that left-sided centre-back gives you is that option to maybe swap Robertson out in certain fixtures or at least put put some competition on that space, if you like, to try and get the best out of Robertson in the sense that, you know, we saw it against Chelsea, his side was targeted quite a lot he's still excellent going forward and you know considering he is a converted attacking fullback I think he's doing a sterling job as this kind of hybrid centre-back but obviously it's not going to be his natural wheelhouse if you like Um, so I suppose that's one of the things that the left sided centre-back would bring but I think also even sort of disregarding the new system that would have been pretty high up on my agenda when you look at Virgil van Dijk and you're thinking he's, he's 32 now obviously the hope is he can have another good two, three seasons at the top level, maybe even more. When you look at someone like Thiago Silva, but you can't bank on every centre back being having that sort of level of longevity. You do have to start planning for the future, even if it is a very sort of gradual, phased takeover. And, and when we do replace Van Dijk, obviously we're looking for someone who can play that left-sided role. On the right, there's Canate, and, and there's you know optimism that he could be the the long-term answer at the back for Liverpool, but he doesn't really have that partner yet. You could say Gomez, but he's not a natural on the left. And you know, there's question marks over his levels anyway, obviously Matip is 31 32 now as well. So he's not one for the long term. So yeah, I think the system has maybe accelerated the need for that left sided centre back, but it would have been high up on my agenda regardless.
0: Absolutely. And, um, I think that is a point out that I didn't mention in, in the intro that's quite important in all this, you know, Liverpool, not only getting a player who can help them this season, but also somebody who can long-term succeed, Virgil van Dijk. And what would be interesting is to see whether the defence is built around Canate. Is he going to be someone who kind of has to step up and be that leader going forward? Or is it going to be this new sign? And I think personally, I'd probably lean towards constructing it around Canate just because he. I think he's shown that he can be kind of one of the best in his position in the world, and he should be the one who's kind of entrusted, get given the keys almost when, when Virgil Van Dijk drops out of the starting lineup or moves on from Liverpool or whatever happens with him, um and, like I said just before we uh, get into our first couple of players, um you mentioned there, James, that you know it's crucial to get a new centre back for the new system. If I said to you to rate between one and ten the importance of liverpool bringing in a new central defender in the next couple of weeks one being that they don't need one and ten being it's absolutely critical where would you kind of put that transfer need
1: well it's hard because obviously for, for scale you'd assume that a number six is 10 on the scale given that you know that's that's pretty urgent at this point and it's it's not as urgent as that but it, it's not a million miles away i i think i'd probably put it at about a seven um because you look at the options on paper for Liverpool and you could get through a season with that set of centre-backs pretty comfortably, provided they stayed fit. But that's just such a if at the moment, because you look at Canate, he's injury-prone. You look at Joe Gomez, he's injury-prone. Joel Matip definitely injury-prone. So you're only really left with Van Dijk as this kind of solid, should-be-available-all-season kind of option. And obviously something some act of God or act of Pitford can can come in and sort of ruin that, can't they? So even with the the safe centre back if you like, anything can happen. So yeah, it's more of a numbers thing than a quality thing. I, I'm I'm happy enough with with the levels of most of the Liverpool centre backs. I think Matip has been the subject of criticism that's maybe a little bit on the harsh side. I think he does struggle in the in the new system, to be fair. He doesn't have the pace. He's never had the pace, and he certainly doesn't anymore have the the required pace that Kanate has to kind of cover that kind of two positions in one. So I understand where that criticism has come from. But, you know, we are talking about squad players at this point if we accept that Van Dijk and Kanate are, are the starters. So, you know, they're, if they're the undisputed first choice and, One of them picks up a knock and massive has to come in maybe the system gets tweaked a bit i don't think it's the end of the world really but my concern is when more than one injury starts to sort of build up and that's when there really needs to be someone else so yeah i think mostly just a depth issue rather than a starting issue but then as i alluded to with robertson that that would give the option of of changing the the starting lineup as well which sort of maybe pushes it up from maybe a five or six to, to that kind of seven i've given it so yeah the next priority after a number six i would say
0: yeah, I pretty much agree with that. I think you know there's been some players who've been winners <clears throat> with the new system, uh, and Matip is is probably a loser, and um, especially if he's kind of asked to play that Canale role. Gomez, I think, is more of an intriguing one because, given his defensive frailties that he showed last season, maybe he's someone who actually sue playing alongside two centre backs. You know, could he kind of slots into one of those roles quite nicely? Um, I suppose his level of importance is going to depend on whether Liverpool can get someone. And on that note, let's um, talk about a couple of potential options. Um, so James, if you just kind of give us your first option, um, run us through why you think they'd be a good fit for Liverpool.
1: Yeah, OK. I think I'll start with Nico Schlotterbeck, one who's not been really mentioned. So start with a bit of a curveball. And I think the biggest surprise for me is that he hasn't been mentioned. when When you talk about the criteria that we know Liverpool are looking at he does seem to tick more or less all of them I mean he's 23 years old he's more proven at a high level than than most players Liverpool will be able to get and we know how much the club likes that obviously that comes with with a higher price tag but you know you could say maybe Liverpool showed its hand a little bit with the with the Caicedo bid it shows that if they think the player is right and if they think it'll have a, a big effect on the squad then then the money is there, so I don't know how much Dortmund would would ask for Schlotterbeck. But they signed him not so long ago for you know a, a pretty small fee. Uh, just that was an intra Bundesliga transfer. I think it was Freiburg he came from, and it was it was a small amount of money. I think there was a, maybe a contractual sort of rundown going on, so. I, but so, you know there were mitigating circumstances. But I think it was somewhere in the region of sort of twenty million, which is you know a bit of a steal considering the role he played in the in the title charge for Dortmund last season. He was. Really impressive. I went over there last season to to catch a game, and um, yeah, I mean, all eyes were on Bellingham, of course. Uh, when that was back when we were still hoping he would come to Liverpool, and sure enough, he was he was incredible. Made me much more upset when we we didn't get hold of him, but but was another one of the standouts. He he was really sort of from a defensive standpoint very solid, but from an attacking standpoint, we we talked about Matip uh, at the top of the show, and and yeah, he has those same qualities. He could really replace that kind of bizarre sort of center back come playmaker role that, that Matthew was sort of slotted into. Um, yeah, I think he got five assists in the league for, for Dortmund last season, four goals as well. And the goals reflect a, um, a real aerial threat. He's, I think, 1.9 metres tall. So he's, he's a big lad. Um, I suppose the one sort of red flag for Liverpool, or maybe, maybe orange flag, given that I'm still advocating signing him, is, the, is that despite the height, he's maybe not the absolute strongest in the air. And we know Liverpool loves to kind of Dominant aerial centre back. He is he, good, but he's not sort of Van dyke good in that regard. But, but again, one of the criteria that we mentioned for Liverpool is that they're looking for someone who's not necessarily going to demand they start straight away. So, they, if if they sign the finished product and then ask them to wait until Van Dyke declines, that's that's not going to happen. So, you know, someone like Schlotterbeck, I think he is in kind of in that that sweet spot, especially if if there was the option of offering him games immediately in the kind of Robertson role, because. Yeah, my only real concern is that we we couldn't get him because of being unable to promise those kind of minutes because he is on the cusp of being almost too good for that role. But yeah, I I really like what I see with him, and he does seem to tick a lot of boxes. What I didn't mention there is that he's a lefty as well. So that's you know right the key criterion ticked off.
0: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly. Yeah, um, huge, obviously, upside to getting a left-footed centre-back. I think doubly for for Liverpool because, you know, if they end up playing um, in a four when Liverpool has the ball um, in kind of more of a... Sorry, when Liverpool doesn't have the ball in more of a left-back role, then um, obviously that's going to be more important and, you know, just help will help Liverpool a lot with kind of building up from the back and having that left footer there. I think the point you make about the Caicedo bit is interesting in terms of, obviously, we don't know how much Liverpool are going to spend on, on the number six that they do get. Um, but there should still be a decent amount of money left over. And also, I mean, the point about aerial dominance is probably a crucial one too. I think, um, off the top of my head, I think Van Dijk and Konate were two of the top four players in the Premier League last season for aerial dual success percentage. And that tells you, um, obviously, how much Liverpool value it. I suppose also you could make the case that when you're playing a back three um when liverpool kind of have the ball is it less important you know can you kind of cope with having a player who's not so much of a specialist i mean that that there might be an argument in that we've seen a few teams who maybe play kind of um a three and have a, a smaller center back in there who's just really good on the ball and, and they can kind of cope with that so that's an interesting way of looking at it as well um my first suggestion is um Arthur Teat from Rennes. Um, he's, he's also 23 years old. Um, joined from Bologna last summer for 19 million. Um, a lot of the players on the market interestingly seem to be ones who, who've quite recently moved, um, which obviously inflates the price tag, um, long contracts and things like that. Um, just a quick rundown on him. Again, you know, similar to James, not someone who's, who's necessarily been linked, but someone who probably should have been. Um, <clears throat> so there's there was a graph uh, posted on Twitter by an account called um, um He wins a higher volume of duels than players like Botman from Newcastle, uh, Van de Ven, who was obviously linked with Liverpool, went to Tottenham, Gabriel from Arsenal. Um, got on the ball as well. Um, second in the French League last season for total passes um, and also provides that ball carrying like Schlotterbeck, like Matip third in Europe's top five leagues last season for progressive carries from central defence, which is very useful for, I mean, you can see it first hand with Matip how useful it is in terms of it gives the opposition something else to think about and he can kind of break through those those lines of pressure. And also, I think another part of his package is athleticism too. And if you want what kind of players he's similar to, um, Statsbomb said he was very similar to, to Lewis Dunk, which I don't think is a most spectacular name, but we know kind of the the man that Brighton put on their centre backs, which again the, the style of football they play, I think is highly applicable to sort of an elite team at the moment. Um, and then there was a squawker kind of a graphic as well, showing that he's quite similar to to Vardial, who incidentally I think would have been the absolute dream option for Liverpool in this position, um, not only as kind of an, an immediate candidate to start, but also perfect long term successor to to Van Dijk, obviously. He's uh, off the table now, to say the least. Um, and the last thing on um that I found was that he has eight caps for Belgium, um, which at the age of 23, and given that Belgium is is a strong team, um, certainly bodes well. Uh, and the one thing I wanted to like ask ask about with him, James, before we kind of move on to um, our second our second players, is that he can also play left back. Um, I mean, how important do you think it is to bring in someone who's got experience of playing on the left of a four? We know in this Liverpool system that when Liverpool don't have the ball, Trent retreats to right back, or at least he's supposed to, and sort of the left-sided centre-back in possession kind of becomes a um, left-back in that more conventional four. I mean, I think in an ideal world, you would have someone who's capable of doing both. But I also think back to sort of Manchester City last season, it seemed like Guardiola was able to um, sort of coach his centre backs to be able to defend as as a right back or a left back quite well, even if they weren't necessarily specialists in that role. So, what do you think of that?
1: Yeah, I think a lot can be achieved with coaching. You're right to highlight that. Although to be fair, Nathan Ake was used a lot, wasn't he? And, and he has been he has played at fullback before. I remember he spent the season then at Watford and basically spent the whole time at left back. So I suppose there was maybe a little bit of a of a grounding there. But yeah, definitely, there's a a role for coaching especially when you know given the system is designed to sort of have the more offensive threats further up the pitch you're not necessarily looking for a classic left back who's going to be bombing up and down like we've seen robertson do so well so it's yeah it's primarily about the kind of security on the defensive side of the game and obviously center backs will have that that skill set sort of drummed into them from 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 a long time so yeah, it's um like you say. I think it's probably a plus point, but not a, a kind of definite need.
0: Yeah, I I think it is like you say. I think it can't. It is something that that can be moulded. Um, but when we looked at someone like Van de Ven, um, and we'll obviously see how he does at Tottenham this season and his kind of Premier League standard. But he, that was something he could do, and that was why I think. Liverpool maybe will rue that one, but again, um, we'll see how he fares um, under Postacoglu. Um So, James, let's have your second player now, please.
1: Yeah, onto more familiar ground with this one. I, I thought someone had to pick out Inacio, Gonzalo Inacio, given that he does really tick the boxes. as a reason that Liverpool sort of persistently have their name mentioned in connection with his name. It's you know, I don't know whether there's there's too much substance in the links or whether it's just two two and two together, but. Yeah, it, it is one that does make a lot of sense on paper, especially with the kind of rumoured release clause, which is in, you know, reasonable territory given the way the market's going. It's not cheap by any means, but you know, sort of I think kind of forty million euro sort of territory. So it's it's certainly affordable for for a club like Liverpool. It's um yeah, it's a lot to pay for someone who's come straight out of the the Portuguese league, you know. We but we saw Liverpool pay, you know, double that for, for Darwin Nunez from the same league last season. So clearly that's not A massively kind of off-putting thing to the club I think there is respect for that league within the recruitment department I think it's a good stepping stone league and maybe one where there is some value still to be found maybe that's changing with the the fees some of the clubs are asking for now for their top talent but yeah it's a strong league it's it's only just outside of the sort of traditional top five I think there was a little time a while back where France and Portugal were sort of swapping places in that kind of spot for the, the fifth league in terms of UEFA coefficient stuff like that. So but they've seen enough in terms of a sample size. Obviously, being at one of the top Portuguese clubs also means you'll be a regular in either the Champions League or the Europa League. So that gives another good place for Liverpool to do some scouting. And yeah, Inacio, he looks good. He's um, left-sided as well. Last season, he did have a slightly better aerial dual win rate than, than Schlotterbeck. I mean, what you would say is that was Inasio's best season so far, and I think it was one of Schoenberg's worst seasons. He has had massive numbers for aerial duel wins in, in a couple of his campaigns in the past. But, yeah, it's it's it shows a player sort of trending in the right direction. Obviously, there's you've got to account for a little bit of randomness in how many duels you win in a given season, but he does seem to be improving as a player. That's why he's coming onto the radar of these clubs now. Um, another one who's also good with the ball, very progressive, very good. You know passing wise it is secure it's got a good pass completion percentage so yeah it's all things you'd want from a from a ball playing centre back in a possession heavy side like Liverpool um yeah I think I think that's basically that's basically all there is to it to be honest you look at the defensive metrics as well like tackles things like that just the the building blocks and there's nothing too concerning in those numbers so yeah, much as I can't say, I've, I've watched him particularly regularly. He, he shows up well in the numbers, and you know, we know that it's not just fans looking at these numbers, it's Liverpool as well. And so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there was something in the uh, the interest that's been sort of bubbling away in the rumor column all summer.
0: Yeah, and I think if Ignatio was the one that Liverpool ended up with, I'd be more than happy with that, to be honest. Um, especially at this late stage of the window, I think he's been a name that has been. Like you mentioned, James, he's, he's been in connect, mentioned in connection with Liverpool for quite a few months now, and um, I think I, I always talk about how the Portuguese league is such an impressive talent factory. I mean, especially those kind of top three teams. It's going to be interesting to see. I mean, Liverpool have obviously not only they've bought a couple of players from, from that league; they've, they've targeted a few more. Whether that will remain the case now that Julian Ward's gone is, I think, is a an interesting thing to keep an eye on because you know Julian Ward. I think he worked with the Portuguese national team. Used to be the Liverpool loan manager for, for Spain and Portugal. So we had a huge amount of contacts in that region. Um, you know we don't know who's going to be the long term sporting director, but whether there'd still be that same emphasis on on talent based in Portugal, I think is um, an interesting one. But certainly for this summer in ASEO, I think is um is worth considering. The second name I went for is again, I think probably following on from my first one just in terms of the the lack of links, a slightly rogue choice, but it's um, Strahinja Pavlovich um, from RB Salzburg. He's 22, so slightly younger than, than Tejas. Um, again, he moved last summer, joined from Monaco for €7 million. Euros. Um, and I've, I've read an article about him um, from Scouts and football Football um, and just a few of the key points in that. There's a heavy emphasis on, on how aggressive he is as well. Um, how kind of He's sometimes to his own detriment. He's I think similar to Kanate in that sense, because we know how much Kanate is willing to kind of push out of defense to almost chase the ball. Um physically dominance, both in the air and on the ground. You know, we've talked about aerial duels and how important they are already. And um, there's a sense that he needs to work on it is passing a little bit, but that he's a specialist when it comes to progressive carries. Um, and I think really he's all about how the game evolves. That could be a huge um Thing with center backs is you know we talked about how they've, there's an emphasis on they've been able to play out from the back um in the past few years but maybe more so now it's going to be about you know can they not actually just you know play the ball can they advance it up the pitch themselves and if there's more and more of them that are able to do that at the top level um sometimes the aggression can kind of apparently lead to him over committing a little bit and you get the sense that he is quite raw would be a bit of a a project player, I suppose, and, and uh, that kind of does fit the bill for Liverpool that we mentioned at the start with um just you know player doesn't need to start straight away. Um and they also say he's well suited to a back three. Um our own writer um, Ben Bokshak actually said um he's an admirer he said um Pavlovich is deceptively fast which is obviously important for, for Liverpool to play in the high line um and quite comfortable on the ball too and we, we know how much Liverpool love Red Bull the The Red Bull kind of shop really for players, you know. They really admire, I think, how they scout players, the kind of philosophy of football that they have, um, and so I think I'd be surprised if he hasn't popped up on their radar. Whether they're entirely sold, I don't know. Whether he's someone who's maybe a, a more long term target, we'll see. But I think Pavlovic will be someone who um, has come under consideration already. There have been um, comparisons to Nemanja Vidić as well, um, which is probably inevitable given that he is this you know young, upcoming Serbian centre back um but he does already have 28 caps for his country which i think is very impressive um at the age that he is so definitely kind of a an exciting emerging talent in that position even if he is a little bit rough around the edges at this point again you start to wonder like all are Liverpool going to be able to get a perfect player at this point of the market probably not um but on sort of Pavlović and on center back generally james I mean, how much room is there for kind of, you know, I used the term project player before. How much room is there for a player like that? I mean, we we talked at the start about how Liverpool are willing to bring in a player who's not maybe starting eleven calibre straight away, but what kind of timelines do you think they should realistically be looking at given the current, you know, state of their options at centre-back?
1: I mean, they were looking at Lavio as as a potential starting number six, weren't they, by the looks of things? So they do seem to be working on the on the premise. It's a cliche, isn't it? But the kind of, if you're good enough, you're old enough type thing. I don't think they'll be they'll be worried too much about that. So as long as there's someone of the sort of required quality to to step in when needed, that's kind of the baseline level. Klopp needs to be able to trust them. So they need to be kind of of a starting level for Liverpool, but that's a different bar, if you like, to being able to displace Van Dyke and Canate. Um So I think, yeah, you're looking at that kind of, sweet spot of someone who's maybe going to come in as probably the the third best centre-back at the club in terms of how how Liverpool are looking at things but even if even if they were you know a little way behind Matip or even Gomez in that starting pecking order it wouldn't be the end of the world as long as there was that clear kind of this player has a huge ceiling we think they can progress within the next maybe two to three years I think that's that's a kind of reasonable timeline to put on it obviously there's there's faith in Van Dijk, and there's faith in him being able to maintain his levels for a while to come. So you don't want to you don't want to get someone in saying you know you're going to be starting in that Van Dijk spot in 12 months time because you know we have every faith that he could refine those peak levels where he was you know perhaps the best centre back in the world. He had maybe a, a harder time of things last season, but that's not to say you can't bounce back. So yeah, I don't think you can really say with any confidence that. It'll be that sort of replacement will be happening within within a season's time. I don't think you, you can tell that to to new recruits. So I think you do have to be taking a slightly longer term view of things. But at the same time, as we mentioned, with the the injury prone nature of the back line, you can make this pitch to the players and say, look, you're not going to be a guaranteed starter, but there's going to be opportunities. We can engineer some of them in the Europa League in cup competitions. And you may well end up finding yourself thrust into the spotlight because, much as we're not banking on any injuries to these to these starters, we we you know have to look at the numbers and say they're very possible. And so, yeah, I think I think it's a it's a tough kind of sweet spot to find because every player is going to want to be starting games, and you know any player who doesn't kind of back themselves to start maybe isn't quite of the the level or, or even the mindset that Liverpool are looking for. So it it is a sort of a tricky balancing act, but. I think maybe that's where the under-23 criterion helps out in the sense that, you know, you'd hope these players at that kind of age can take a bit of a long-term perspective and, and you know, they'll come in with the with respect for the likes of Van Dijk and know they can't just walk into the team. So, yeah, I don't think there's going to be a, a strict timeline on it because I think it really does depend on on how things pan out with Van Dijk, even with Matic potentially, although it does look like he might leave at the end of his contract. But, yeah, I think it's that's the kind of area we're looking at. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting with this because you've got Van Dyke, obviously, as the one that will be looked at as, you know, he needs a successor, but... You know if this system does stay much longer, I mean maybe the player's a Robertson successor in, in in a weird way, just because if they move towards the Man City model of having like their own Nathan Ake essentially, then that player might actually be you know, there might actually be sort of three specialist centre backs there as opposed to just two. But again, you know, yeah Klopp's only maybe here for another three years. You don't necessarily know how that system will change before then, how it will change after him and things like that. So it's hard to predict the future, but certainly a few possibilities. And I think the, the point about the Europa League is a good one because that gives as much as they obviously don't want to be in that competition, it does give them opportunities for rotation that they probably didn't have last year. I mean, I think we've seen Champions League games in the past where Klopp's kind of put Matip and Gomez in um, to give them minutes, but they've kind of struggled a bit and the defence offenses look quite kind of erratic. I think you know, with all due respect to teams in Europa League, um, Liverpool, you know, Liverpool are, are just going to be the strongest team in that competition. They should be able to sort of throw their um, third and fourth choice centre-backs or whoever into the lineup there and and it looked kind of a lot more stable, um, you'd hope. And I, I do think it gives, like I say, not just obviously in centre-back, but across the team, the opportunity to give some fringe players minutes and keep them happy, which is obviously really important. Um so, last question then, James, before we finish up. Um, there's been a lot of talk, not not only with the defensive midfield position, but with, with centre-back too, about how the state of the market this year is uninspiring, about how it's a bad year to kind of need to address those two areas. I mean, what do you make of that, do you think? You know, we've obviously looked today at quite long lists of players who might meet Liverpool's criteria, basically the pool of players that they're shopping in having looked at that do you think that maybe the weakness of the market is overstated or would you agree that it's maybe a little bit on the underwhelming side it's hard to say because I don't think those claims are necessarily saying that
1: there's a total shortage of players out there I just think it's a case of what the prices are doing given how important these positions are to a lot of top teams in the same summer I think that's probably the biggest problem when you look at you know Arsenal were in the market for a defensive midfielder, so they signed rice for huge money but West Ham could demand that because lots of other big clubs were in the running. Chelsea needed one. They obviously went in signed Caicedo and Lavia. So, you know, it's it's that kind of yeah, almost the uh, the demand side of things as much as anything else. So I suppose considering we've picked out, you know, three names who haven't really been been linked, it, it's hard to say because we don't know exactly what the kind of demands would be for those players. You know, you can you can do it on paper and think oh, I'm sure they'd go for a reasonable price I mean Schlotterbeck I mentioned you know the 20 million or so he went for even last summer but you know the way the market's gone you wouldn't be surprised if if that at least tripled if if you did knock on Dortmund's door now maybe even more like it's it's just no way of saying until until that inquiry happens but but I think you're right I think it does show that there are lots of options out there I think there is the tendency to just kind of limit yourself to who Liverpool have actually been linked to and think those are the only players out there. It's like when the Lavia deal didn't materialise, it, it was suddenly, there was this conversation of, there's no one left for Liverpool to sign. Obviously, there are still good number sixes out there. And, you know, we've maybe seen that with reports, you know, at the time of recording, anyway, that we're moving towards to I mean, Chelsea might have signed him by the time that this that, that goes out, who knows. But, um, yeah, I think Inacio was one who we mentioned, who does have that release clause. So, yeah, there's um there's flexibility there and that there are ways of, of getting good deals even in a tricky market.
0: Definitely. And I think that's a nice optimistic note for, for us to uh finish the podcast on. So um let us know in the comments if you've got any kind of suggestions for players you think they've or target with a centre back role, or if you kind of if there's a name that myself or James have said that you think particularly stands out to you. And yeah, in the meantime. Um, remember to check out all the written content that goes up on liverpool.com and we'll be back next week with another podcast so thanks very much everyone for listening you've been listening to the blood red podcast from the liverpool echo